You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Tech Fan Podcast number 334. I am Tim Robertson. And hey, look, it's David Cohen. Hello, David. Hello. So you're the, uh, you're in, uh, is it London? I'm in London, yeah. We stay, I, I obviously, I'm, I work here a lot during the week, but this weekend I stayed down here and the family came down to visit. We went to do a family engagement yesterday. And um, so I've just packed them back on the train back home. So I'm in the hotel tonight, and then I'll, I'll go back during the week. Hmm. Sounds boring. Yeah. The, not the it, family coming down. I mean, having to stay longer while the family leaves, that kind of is like... Well, yeah, I, I could have done with a... Uh, uh, you know, the the, uh, the family engagement, you know, I, I, I love to do those things because I, I'm really a strong believer that when... You know, families have a have an event going on that you show, you turn up, you support, you participate, and all of that sort of thing. But um, you know, strictly, honestly speaking, kind of those kind of party events, you know, a meal with dancing and a disco and that sort of thing, they're not really my scene. So um, while I, I was know. very I've happy, seen you to, down. very yeah, very happy to participate, but I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't say I enjoyed it in terms of you know what actually went on. So. Um, Pretty beat, to be honest. Yep. So, did you get your new uh, iPhone 8 Plus yet? Uh, I will be. Uh, the order has gone in. Um, God, dealing with Apple business has been like pulling teeth. We uh, we we got the finance agreement arranged, and then they needed it signing, which which I pushed our CEO to do. I said, look, we've been waiting for this for ages. Let's get it signed and straight back to them. So he did that, but then they wanted a deposit and. Our finance people pay the deposit, but for some reason, if I pay you money on PayPal or via my bank today, it will go straight, straight away. But because we're a business, it takes three business days for money to change accounts from one to the other. I've no idea why that is. So Thank anyway, then Apple didn't get the payment cleared till Friday, so they didn't place the order till Friday. The reason it so, takes three days is to, pre- to prevent fraud on large scales. <sighs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It just comes across like, you know, if you're a consumer, everything happens quickly. If you're a business, you have to pay for all your banking or you pay more for all your banking and everything operates much more slowly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, I had the order confirmed over the weekend, and so the phone should be in Monday or Tuesday. Well, John Emo sent an email asking why the iPhone 8 Plus for you over the 10. Yeah, and, uh, uh, and it was pretty simple. It was just that the company won't pay for the 10. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, it, uh, funnily enough, my my boss, the chief exec who I just mentioned, every time I've communicated with him, him on this, he's gone, oh, you know, perhaps we should have gone for the iPhone 10, but they are so expensive. Uh, and it's just like, well, yeah, my attitude was, well, dude, it's your company, your money. If you want 10s, then we could have had 10s. You just needed to say we would spend the extra couple of hundred pounds each. If you wanted a 10 and you wanted nobody else to have one, we could have done that too. It's still your company. Um, It was a bit bit kind of weird. But here's the thing. While I've just been talking to you, I've received a um, note from eBay saying something I've I've, uh, had listing has just sold. Um, And this interests me because it was an iPhone 6 that uh, a colleague of mine at the home office had um he he bought an iphone 10 and so he wanted to get rid of his six and he kind of came to me because you know i'm known as the apple guy and he said look i've got this iphone 6 i want to sell it but it's got a broken screen so uh i said okay well why don't you get the screen fixed you'll get a lot more for it with the screen repaired and he oh i'm not sure i could be bothered and all this sort of thing anyway he, he looked into getting the screen repaired, but he went to Apple and they wanted nearly a hundred pounds to repair the screen. I said to him, I said, don't do that. I said, we can get it done much cheaper than that and a very good job. So I took the phone off him and I sent it off to a guy I know who I've had repairs done with before. He repaired Charlotte's iPad screen when it broke and that was 35 pounds. And the phone came back and I tell you, it looked like a brand new phone. Did it? So, 
Yeah. Now, he'd been offered, I think, 38 quid for a broken phone, iPhone 6. Right. Um, so we've paid 35 pounds to have it repaired, and it's just sold for uh, 157 pounds. Oh, there you go. Talk about return on investment. Yeah, absolutely. That's not bad at all. So, uh, so yeah, well, well up on that. So absolutely. I'm that. Yeah, he'll be pleased. Yeah, and I'm, but having said that, I say to anybody who's bought a phone, yeah, if you go out today and you buy an iPhone six for 150 pounds, that's a hell of a deal because it's a great phone. Yep. Even though even though it's an older phone, still a great phone. Absolutely. You know, and and with this experience, I really can't understand why I see so many people walking around with broken screens. <laughs> just yeah. just don't. I got to fix Brooks under Apple Care because I bought Apple Care right. for her phone, but it's an hour and a half drive. Yeah. And uh, well, you, well, you you could send it off, couldn't you? Yeah, but then she doesn't have phone to use. Well, you could perhaps use that as a as a teaching moment to say if you don't if you're better with your screen then you won't have five six days without a phone mm-hmm. yeah i kind of like that idea <laughs> we uh we did get some feedback we got some audio feedback did we yeah yeah i don't know if you heard it or not it's no from, i didn't hear it uh tell me if you can I, i'm gonna see if i can just play it right here on the finder window i think it'll work i think you can hear it and more importantly uh i think it will record Right. Uh, it's from Guy Searle, so tell me if you can hear this okay. Hey, Tim. Hey, Dave. It's Guy. Can you hear it? was just yeah. listening to the latest uh, tech band, Roasted, and uh, was listening to Tim talk about being late to the party as far as coffee goes, and, and I can personally attest to hmm. that as when we would go to the Macworld Expo, everybody's sitting in mills, eating breakfast, Having coffee, except for Tim. Tim would not be drinking. Oh, I hit the wrong button. Arr, that's the problem with playing it in uh, the finer window. Here. Personally attest to that, as when we would go to the Macworld Expo, everybody's sitting in mills, eating breakfast, having coffee, except for Tim. Tim would not be drinking coffee. Nope, I didn't like it. But one of the things that he would do mm-hmm. before getting to uh, the show floor over at the Moscone Center Kill three would prostitutes. be to uh, find some place to buy a couple of bottles of Mountain Dew. Mm-hmm. Now, not to kill the prostitutes with Mountain Dew. It had to be <laughs> fresh Mountain Dew, and Tim could tell the difference. Many a time, he would he would get a, a couple of bottles of Mountain Dew. Bring him back to whatever hotel we were all staying in, take a sip, make a face, and say, Ugh, this is old Mountain Dew. This is not fresh Mountain Dew. Anyway, that's that's about it. Uh, yeah, Mountain Dew. Talk to you guys later. Bye. It wasn't that it was fresh. It was that if, if it was stale or, or well, flat. Stale is the opposite of fresh. So. Yeah, well. Yeah. I, think, I think Guy's comment still stands. Oh, absolutely does. Yep. Yeah. I mean flat. I would need caffeine. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the early Macworld Expos, it was just regular Mountain Dew, and then eventually that turned into Diet Mountain Dew. Yep. And uh, now I like coffee, so go figure. So you don't drink Mountain Dew anymore? No, I do. Uh, oh, yeah. Just not as much as I used to. And I've Diet. Got to be on- I've got to be honest. Mountain Dew, I- I've always... <laughs> faintly disturbing it it does kind of look like it could be a bodily fluid yep (laughs) yeah i remember my mom used to be a pepsi drinker yeah and this is back when you would bring an eight pack home in a cardboard container with eight bottles actual glass bottles Mm -hmm. and um she would get me she'd say i could have one for the whole week do I want a Pepsi or does she want me to get something else? So she'd bring this thing home and I, we were at the store one day and I thought, Ooh, I'll get this green one. That looks cool. It's different. And that was the first time I ever had it. So back then, you know, you, you buy an eight pack and there'd be one Mountain Dew in there and the store didn't bat an eye. They didn't care. Yeah. But yeah, that's fond memories. Um, yeah, now it's coffee for me. I, I, if it's first thing in the morning, I want a coffee. And I don't like yeah. black coffee. I've got to have it sweetened with cream too. Um, uh, right. Well, see, I'm a, I'm very much a black no sugar coffee drinker. Yep, um, it's better but, for you. Uh, 
I uh, the the weird thing is is that it doesn't. I mean, everyone drinks it for the the caffeine content. It doesn't really seem to affect me. Not that I can notice. I could drink coffee late at night, and I wouldn't be wouldn't um, sleep badly or be awake. And you know, if I don't have it in the morning, I don't tend to drink as much coffee at the weekends as I do when I'm at work. Um, if I don't have it in the morning, I don't kind of you know struggle or get grouchy or anything like that. I just don't have it. It's have you ever gone weird. a couple of days without coffee? Or caffeine? Yeah, yeah. If I like, if we get, if we go away somewhere, I might have might go five six days without coffee or caffeine, depending, depending on where we are. Yeah, because I, I don't I don't really drink anything else that has caffeine in it. Like, oh, I might have the occasional um, diet soda, but but apart from that, I just don't. So it's not like I've got a caffeine fix that I need to to uh, satisfy. Well, see, I mine is a, a caffeine thing, and I think yeah. I, t- I talked about this a long long time ago in one of the earlier tech fans because when we first started tech fan i was working at mac specialist that's why i started tech fan um instead of going back to the my mac podcast after leaving uh owc radio 1.0 um and that was simply uh, i stopped one day i went cold turkey and i had the worst headache i've ever had in my life yeah and i was halfway through the first well the second day really that's when the the massive headache got me uh, crippling headache. I mean, it was so bad. And I was, uh, it was that night and I was trying to suffer through it and the phone rings and there was a fire at the store. So I had to get up and, and go take care of that. And, but my head hurt so bad. I thought, well, I, I can't do anything like this. This is, so I had a more caffeine and that was it. Went right back. Hmm. Fun It's funny enough. Um, recently in the press here, Apparently, the UK is the um, second highest consumer of energy drinks in the world. And by energy drinks, I mean these kind of caffeine-stimulated soft drinks like Red Bull, uh, Monster, all of those kind of things. And and the problem with these drinks is because they have this kind of uh, young person image, they're often – Red Bull obviously is associated with all sorts of extreme sports and things like that. Uh, Monster as well is very much associated with um, – they, they choose to advertise with uh, with car racing and, and, and that as well. Um, these drinks are kind of very popular with kids, um, particularly here in the UK. And um, not only from the sugar – obviously, they're, they're all full of sugar – but they're finding that um, it's really doing teenagers quite a lot of – of harm the fact that they're drinking so much caffeine and a lot of these kids the same thing you know first thing in the morning on their way to school they'll stop in they'll buy one of these big tins of monster or red bull or something like that and then they're all hopped up on caffeine all the way through school yeah uh, and it's, it's not good you know mm, it's good for me so they're they're actually talking about um if the industry doesn't then they're talking about legislating to ban sales of those things to under 16s so I just dropped a, uh, a PDF in our notes that we share for our show notes. Mm-hmm. Now, did that come across to you as a PDF or is it just a picture? Let me see. I think um, if you double click it, it, it. A lot of these things de- are very much dependent on um, on what, what you're using to read that. So this is the comic thing, yeah? Yep. That come so, up? Uh, uh, it appears to be as a PDF because I'm on I'm I'm reading it on my iPhone. I don't know if I was uh, if I had a Mac in front of me or other Windows computer whether it would open as a PDF on there. So what that is, if you actually read it, yep, should sound familiar to you. Yeah. <laughs> yes, this is the thing you did last week. Yeah, it's the coffee thing. The first person. Yeah. So uh, Danny Ankelo. Uh, who uh, does reviews at MyMac.com. He's uh, an author himself. Uh, We've talked about Donnie, about, you know, he's been on the show. Um, He listened to it, and he sent me an email. Well, I think it was on Twitter, actually, saying we we totally have to do this. Mm -hmm. So so the idea is we're going to eventually make a book. Okay. And the title is The Inaccurate History of, and then, it, it, originally, it was the history of everything, and then he puts inaccurate above history, and then he crosses yeah. out everything and puts stuff. So the inaccurate yeah, and, history of stuff. And you spell inaccurate wrong, which I presume is a deliberate joke. Yes. <laughs> and uh, it's it's his cartoon artwork with the dialogue cleaned up some Yeah. Uh, from last episode of the first person to try coffee with the black water. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so we're going to do that. This is really cool. It's pretty neat. I really like this. Yeah, and and you're absolutely right. This is the sort of thing that if you collected these together would make a great um, a great kind of coffee table book thing. So I think what we're going to do, and you know, this isn't something that's going to come out next week, and no. I think it's going to be an ebook. Maybe yep. maybe we'll create a one page website just for advertisement purposes or something, and we'll post stuff like that at techfanpodcast.com and mymac.com. Um, so the idea, I think, what we'll do is the idea, like whatever the thing is, like I, my next idea is a, an orange. How, right. how who named the orange the orange? So. Well, using these two characters, what I'll do is I'll just record audio, a conversation yeah. between these two characters, and then send him the audio, and then he can transcribe it and put it in cartoon form. Yeah. Did you ever... Um, th- I'll tell you what this reminds me of. Uh, Bob Newhart did a piece like this once. Yes. Did you ever listen to Bob Newhart yes. stand-up? Yep. He used to do a thing. He did a thing. I, I remember it clearly. We must have had a... The phone a, call. A set or something. The phone call from Walter Raleigh. Right. Trying to explain to the Elizabethan English that he discovered tobacco. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was the same sort of thing. Yep. It was like, oh, what do you do? What? All right, so you take this plant leaf, you dry it out, you roll it up, you stick it in your mouth, and then you light it. Yep. <laughs> and, you know, the guy's basically cracking up, thinking that, that this guy's, you know, lost his mind. It was a similar sort of thing. It was uh, very funny. So that's another one we could do. Thank you. Yeah. Um, thank you, Bob Newhart. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what the idea is. Um, it's kind of like the first person to try something. Yeah. Yeah. I think penicillin would be a good one. It's absolutely right. Because some of the things that we do as, as humans is, is, yeah. How did ever, (laughs) did anyone ever discover that that was a good thing to do? Right. Exactly. So that's what the, that's what the, that's, that's going to be what the, the book is about. So I want to open this up to the listeners. If you've got an idea, the first person who tried this, why it would be funny, and we're going to keep it clean. I mean, you know, yeah, no naughty bits. Um, <laughs> send us an email, the show at techmanpodcast.com. If we use your idea, Donnie and I will put your name and an acknowledgement in the book so you can get yeah. your name in a book. It'll be fun. I don't think this is going to happen for... The hard part isn't the dialogue. Uh, I can riff on anything. That's kind of my strong suit, actually. Um, the The hard part, I think, is coming up with a different ideas. Yep. And then, honestly, yeah, Donnie's artwork, that's going to take the longest time. Yeah, um, and also as well, yeah, I mean, let's, let's not minimize not only the effort involved, but also very much sometimes the... Um, the art of any sort of joke is the kind of the context it's in. Yes. And also the, the, the interpretation of what I say and then what Donnie puts on paper, for instance, um, here, you know what? Let's do this. I, it's not like we're spoiling anything because we, I did this last week on the show. Yeah. So I will be, um, the dark haired guy. You be the light haired guy. Okay. All right. So we'll just read this, and then you'll hear the difference between what I said and what Donnie changed it in. Um, So the first one goes, um, so you know those beans? Yeah, did you try them? Well, I boiled them, and they wouldn't get soft. When I tried eating one, it tasted terrible. I'm getting sick just thinking about it. That's too bad. We've got a ton of them growing around here. Here's the strange thing. The water I cooked them in turned black. Black? It smelled so good. Don't tell me you drank it. Still you. How many times have I told you? Don't drink the black water. Well, it smelled so good. I had to try it. And you know what? What? It didn't taste very good at first, but it woke me right up. I felt fantastic. I was wide awake. In fact, I haven't slept in three days. You have to try it. Maybe not the entire pot like I did. Maybe just a cup or two. Yeah, that should be enough. Oh, and I figured out that we can make it taste even better with some of that white cow juice. And then the last page, full page thing, is a cow going, moo? (laughs) So, I think it reads better than the way we just did it. Yeah. 
Um, but I think it sounds better the way I did it last week because I was just kind of riffing. Yeah. But the thing is, as well, is the artwork, um, because Donnie's drawings put some interpretation on the words as well, yes. that really adds to it, too. Yeah. That, and, well, yeah. that's what makes it. Quite honestly, yeah. I mean that that final that final sketch of the cow is yeah. is you know I mean it's the punchline of the joke and um, you kind of have to sit with the picture to get the best of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the thing. Uh, we're going to be doing that. I think it'll be fun. Uh, speaking of the thing, I'm going to be doing um, in you know half a year from now, uh, and unfortunately, it doesn't include David this year. I'm bummed out, and that's Max yeah. 2018. It has been announced, and so if you go to uh, MacStock, just Google MacStock, you'll find it. Um, it's going to happen in, what is it, June or July? I think it's July. July. Yeah. yeah. So that's happening. Um, game show is coming back, the MyMac.com game show with me and Guy Searle. Um, I saw a nice little tweet. Someone said it was very informative and fun. I'm looking forward to seeing it again this year. So that was nice. Cool. And uh, I just want to look, guys. If you, if you have an opportunity, come to MacStock. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, get to meet Guy. Get to meet me. Uh, David won't be there this year, unfortunately. Maybe next. Maybe that's okay, David. Every other year would be good. Yeah, um, you know, uh, I would have loved to have been there this year, but unfortunately, it's just not going to work for me. So, um, you know, I'd rather make that decision now and and then kind of everyone knows where they are rather than kind of be umming and ahhing closer up to the event really so yeah you know what we forgot to do what's that i forgot to pick a wikipedia i have one. Oh, do you okay yeah, so we'll get one. to that in a few minutes then good i'm glad you got one uh in the news there's only a couple of things i want to talk about you put one note in here about a bitscope a 3000 core raspberry pi cluster computer Holy yeah this is something i saw on reddit um this is really, really just just because I thought it was really really cool. Um, so this is effectively a module filled with um, three thousand Raspberry Pis, uh, and and the the idea behind this is this is a a cheap way to learn how to program um, for cluster computers because the problem with writing for lots and lots of processors is that it's not it doesn't scale out from you don't just think, all right, I'll write a piece of code uh, and then I'll tell it to run across 3,000 different cores and it will um, it will just run 3,000 times as fast. It's not like that at all. And like all these things, it's all down to uh, scheduling and schedule management. And if you get that wrong, actually, you spend more time managing processing than you do actually doing any processing. Right. Uh, but this is an amazing thing because obviously cluster computing is not it's, – it's generally you either have to rent time in the cloud – or you have to build a big rack of computers, which means you need a data center. This is a module that, that uses Raspberry Pis. It uses only um, four watt per machine, so it's only um, it's uh, uh, yeah four watt per Pi on that. So that the power requirements are much lower than you would normally use for something much like this. Much lower, uh, and it's a, it's a small rack, so you can basically learn to program in uh, the kind of you know do the sort of stuff that cluster computing is useful nowadays which is a lot of DNA analysis and complex calculations like that but you can learn to do that in this little unit like this um, and to me I, I just think it's very cool that the Raspberry Pi little $20 computer is so flexible that you can um, you can do this sort of thing with it it's amazing I mean it's so flexible it's I, 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 I'm just in love with the idea of it of course the only thing yeah. I've really done is the game things with it but it's it's more than that. Yeah, uh, you can do well as I, as I said in my talk at Maxot last year. You can do pretty much anything you can think of. You just need to come up with the idea and then spend a bit of time, kind of hacking around. Um, and yeah, it's cheap to get in. You know, I, I um, in fact, I, I was uh, I was reading something in a in a Chromebook. Um, in a Chromebook uh, thread on a forum somewhere a couple of weeks ago, and somebody was saying, you know, how, how do I do uh, a real-life VPN and real-life recording and stuff like that, all these issues that you struggle to do with the Chromebook. And pretty much every time somebody said, well, you could do it this way, you could do that way, or actually another way of doing it is building a Raspberry Pi to do it for you on the on the network. Um, and, and this 
kind of advice kept on coming up again and again and again because it's so easy to deploy a really cheap server or computer on your network now using one of these single single car computers. So here's a uh, the other story that I got, which wow, this one boggles my mind. So when you check out Thor Ragnarok page on iTunes, it says pre-orders of digital copies are expected to arrive on February 20th. Now, we've talked about Thor Ragnarok, that this is a brilliant movie. It's one of the yeah. best Marvel ones to date. Personally, I, I actually like Thor Ragnarok more than I like the new Star Wars movie. Uh-huh. Um, it, it's just, it's a fantastic movie. It makes you smile. It's just, it's just a good, fun movie with Honestly, killer visual effects. It takes a character in a whole different way. It it does totally set up the next Marvel thing. It, it's just really good on every level. I, I just love the movie. I think it's I think it's brilliant. Yeah. Well, according to um, a Reddit user in a now deleted post, of course, uh, he wrote, "I pre-ordered Thor Ragnarok on Vudu yesterday, and it links it to my iTunes also." But curiously, it showed up in my iTunes library this morning. Pre-order shouldn't. And now I can watch the full movie in HD. He then wrote, I obviously downloaded it right away. I know it's supposed to come out February 20th. Others responded that going that same purchase route made the movies available to them in iTunes as well. So, (laughs) a month before you can legally get it, some snafu happened in iTunes that since you linked it from Vudu, meaning that you can also watch it. It's this whole, cro- you buy it once, you can watch it in multiple places. Um, if you link all this stuff together and how you do that, I'm not really sure. Somehow it, it's done it in YouTube for me because everything I've purchased on iTunes is also in my purchase library on YouTube. I, I don't know why. YouTube has all my movies. So, cool. It's, it's convenient. Well, convenient it's also kind of freaky it is and i don't know how it linked everything but i don't really care but here's the thing of course since this happened you know the the natural consequences of this yes of course yes that mean as soon as a digital copy of is available to people then it gets uh, compromised and streamed on all the pirate sites yep it's and i went and checked on the pirate bay mm-hmm. they have both the 1080p and the 720p versions available to download. Anybody who wants to steal the movie can do so in seconds. Um, I looked at screenshots. It's there. It looks perfect. Someone's got to lose their job over this, yes? Well, it depends on whether, whether it's somebody's fault. I mean... Imagine these services. Nobody on the on the night before it comes up sits down and kind of plugs a USB stick in to uh, to Disney Movies Anywhere or iTunes or whatever and says upload and make available. This stuff is all being lined up for publishing beforehand. Um, what seems to be going on here is that somehow the service that is being used to join these things together was managed was able to access the iTunes version before it had been officially released. Right. So the, so so the link was already there. They just hadn't pushed it out visible to users and thus the voodoo system did. And there it is. You can download it now. I, I, and like many things like that, that thing that happened with the, the Hawaii missile alert a few weeks ago, which turned out to have the world's worst interface for, uh, turning that thing on. It was basically just a list of, web links yep. um again there's no guarantee that that behind the scenes in these services the uh interfaces for enabling this stuff and everything are particularly friendly or usable so uh, who knows how easy it is to make a mistake i i i dislike this culture we have where if somebody makes a mistake everyone goes oh, well so they've, they've got to get fired i agree you know? i agree people make mistakes yep. it's what we do but this mistake cost disney i bet millions of dollars well, maybe it did, maybe it didn't. Who knows? It's very difficult to quantify that. I'm still buying it. it. But yeah, well, yeah, of course. But the point is, is that plenty of people will still still buy it. Not everybody is pirating these stuff, these movies. No. Yeah, and the vast majority of people who pirate the movie will pirate it whenever it comes out, and it never would never buy a copy. In, would never buy a copy in the first place. Yeah. The, the 
number of people who've been sat there waiting for Thor Ragnarok to buy on February 20th and are going, oh, I can get it from the Pirate Bay now, so I'm going to buy it, I'm going to get it from there now, and I'll never buy a proper copy, is vanishingly small. So yeah. I don't think it... Plus, whatever, you don't get all the extra whatever, content that you do when you get it on Vudu or iTunes or... Exactly. You know, the yeah. behind-the-scenes stuff, the director commentaries, all that kind of stuff that if you're really a big fan of a movie... You want so yeah you're you're absolutely spe- speaking of though fans of movies uh, I watched a movie recently called um, oh crap what is it called um, oh what is it it's the uh, the post right and it yeah. is of course the the publication of the Pentagon Papers uh, uh, on the Vietnam War uh, right during Richard Nixon's presidency and the case went all the way to the Supreme Court. Spoilers, the Supreme Court found in favor of the papers. Yeah. Um, it's a brilliant movie. Tom Hanks is in it. Um, he, plays, he plays Ed Bradley. Uh, Meryl Streep is in it, is the widow and now owner of the Washington Post. And I really enjoyed this movie. But more than that, one of my favorite movies is All the President's Men, of course, is the Watergate movie with Dustin yeah. Hoffman and... Um, Oh, uh, blah, blah, blah. wow. Why am I drawing a blank on his name? Um, was it, um, uh, Elliot Gould? No. Wow. All the president's men. Uh, why am I, I'm just Robert Redford. Jeez. I was right. about to Google it and it came to me. Uh, here's the thing. The last scene in the post is an almost shot to shot recreation of the first scene and all the president's men from 35 years before because one goes right into the other well yeah i mean basically nixon's government was was doing all of this stuff suppressing things and um and all of that and it was only after watergate that it, that everybody that it all really that it it got found out to the point where everyone said this guy's got to go they were getting there anyways with the pentagon papers um yeah, but, but you know what this it is, was watergate that pushed it over the end this this will be the same thing that happens with our with your current president is that everyone knows that with the Russia stuff and everything that there's um, fake news. It's fake news. Well, that there's definitely something suspicious going on, but eventually something will be found that can't be yeah dismissed as fake news, and at that point, people will turn and say we've got to impeach the guy. Hopefully, <laughs> so Guy Searle sent me an uh, an email on Facebook and I'm going to pull it up because it's easier to uh, read it than try to remember it. And what did he write? Yeah, here it is. He said, um, yeah, he goes, if you were looking for a used, if you're looking for used IMAX, what is the absolute farthest in age you would go? I like this Mac pro, but I think I've taken about as far as I can with performance. I spend more time keeping it going than it's worth, and I said 2012. That's about the farthest I would go back. What's what Mac Pro is that? A 2010? Yeah, cheese, uh, cheese grater. Yep. Okay. And he said, "I uh, wish they made desktops with IMAX specs and no monitor." Well, which I get. And then I actually sent him a link, i.e., this is the one I would do. And what I sent him was a MacSales.com, our sponsor link, to a 21-inch iMac. It's a what year is this one? I lost it. Darn it! I think it's a 2015. Right. Uh, a 21 inch iMac with a Retina 4K display, eight gigs of RAM, one terabyte um, SSD, running at 3.1 gigahertz i5. Yeah, it's a late 2015. Mm-hmm. This is a nice machine. It's it's 12.99. This was a two thousand dollar machine when it was new. And this is actually newer than the one I've got. Yeah. But if I was to buy another one right now for the price, that's what I would go with. Because you don't need the... if. And this was kind of the situation I was in. Guy doesn't want or particularly need another monitor. He just wants yeah. a headless Mac. And, of course, they haven't updated the Mac Mini in, what, 25 years? Yeah. Seems like that. <laughs> Seems like it. And so... You want a machine that's going to be fast, so you definitely want SSD. Uh, eight gigs of RAM for what Guy is doing is probably more than enough. I know it's more than enough for me. Yeah. 
audio doesn't no. take a lot of RAM. No. I mean, I, I know that he's not, they'd rather have a headless Mac without a monitor, but if you are going to get a monitor, you might as well get the rest of them on. Exactly. And for this price, I mean, this is, it's got, it's got Thunderbolt two ports on it. Um, yeah, it's just for the money. You're just getting a lot of machine. Yeah. So that would be my recommendation to anybody that's saying, Hey, you know, I'm picking about a used Mac, not a new one. Um, don't get anything older than a 2012, and even that's kind of pushing it. But this is a nice machine, and for 1300 bucks, I mean, I'll put a link to this one in the show notes, too, because I know there's people out there wondering, looking, this is a great choice. So we do- Yeah, I've got, I've got to be honest. I mean, once you kind of have gotten used to a retina display, oh. it's very difficult to go back to non-retina. It is. Um, and so... The early Resner machines, even though Resner wasn't perfect when it first came out, I've seen a couple with kind of um, uh, like a dis- – it's not, I wouldn't call it quite a display retention. There's a bit of display lag on some of the re- early Retina displays where, you know, you close a window and there's a faint ghost of the window that's there for 30, 40 seconds or something as it kind of fades out of the um, – fades out of the of, of the kind of the, the pixels where it was but to be honest with you it's something you don't really notice until you kind of notice it and then you just have to train yourself to ignore it a little bit yeah um, and it wasn't all of the displays it was just some of them so uh, your luck may vary on that but the thing is the quality of a retina display in terms of how clean everything looks the fact that you you know, you really can't see the pixels. And then you go back to a non-retina display and you realize, oh, yeah, I never noticed it before, but I can see the pixels. And it looks kind of gross. Yep. So, um, yeah, if you can stretch to uh, – if you if you certainly if – you, yeah, if you're buying a used Mac nowadays, try and stretch to a retina machine. You'll, your eyes will thank you for it. And we want to thank our sponsor, MacSales.com, um, for once again sponsoring TechFan. Uh, I, I, I kind of miss my iMac now. Uh, thank you, me. Making me Jones to the iMac again. They're good machines. I like them. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm still on my. Uh, I'm I'm probably on the same sort of machine that the guys on on my Mac Pro, but um, and I don't really need new computer. Not more new computers, but there you go. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you certainly do. So last week we talked about uh, this thing we're going to talk about this week, which is eleven video games that resulted in major lawsuits. I thought this was kind of an interesting one. And I'm going to let you talk about the first one here because Cole's not too far away from me. Okay. Let me bring up my, uh, well, browser, my, my iPhone, because it's, uh, it's, well, the first one I can give a little bit while you're bringing that up and it's called grand theft auto, hot coffee. Now this was a part of the game that rockstar, wisely decided to leave out of the finished product, except they didn't. Yeah, they, they, they left the code in. That was the problem. Um, they, didn't, uh, they didn't excise it completely from the game. They just basically prevented the player from reaching this particular minigame. Um, and uh, the idea was, uh, if you played this minigame, is that you could... Um, use different uh, actions on the controller in order to um, interact in a adult way with the uh, with one of the characters a uh, female character so they, they scrapped it but they left the code in and when somebody was going through the code and, and saw it they figured out a way of hacking both the Xbox and Playstation versions of the game to actually get to the scene and they called this uh, the hot coffee mod yeah because the scene apparently was originally referred to, whether it was a code name or whatever, it was originally called Hot Coffee. So um, the lawsuit was because, uh, of course, <laughs> you, you kind of struggle with this, really, because this is adult content for a game that's already has a lot of adult content in it. And it really, was listed as also- such, but the yeah, problem was it wasn't listed as sexual content in there no yeah it was quite happy to it was quite happy to let you murder people run them over stab them shoot them do all sorts of things all sorts of drug related crime in the game that's all fine yeah but oh no you can't put anything um adult sexual adult in there because then the youth of america might be corrupted um so that there really is a little bit of a 
a double standard by people who, who complain about this. Because as I say, Grand Theft Auto, in my view, is a game that kids should not be playing anyway. My kids have never played it, and I wouldn't allow my kids until they were of age to play it. But there you go. Nevertheless, they were sued by the city of Los Angeles, no less, yeah. because they hadn't disclosed that this content was there. Um, and I think at the time, I remember a lot of us thought that um, this lawsuit wouldn't wouldn't go anywhere because the uh, the the offending code was not available without you having to mod the game. So it wasn't like Rockstar had deliberately made this available and kind of just told nobody about it. They closed it off, and then you had to hack the code to get it back again. But uh, nevertheless, uh, $20 million is what it cost Rockstar defending that suit and um, settling everything. And so, well, $20 million in the, in the, in the success of Grand Theft Auto is probably not um, a, a it's probably not a major loss, but nevertheless, $20 million is not chump change. Uh, the next one, the Olsen twins versus acclaim, which is kind of funny. You remember the Olsen twins from full yeah. house? Um, you know, in the early two thousands, they were huge. Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen were, they were an industry. I mean, you couldn't go into a toy store without finding stuff with these two girls on it. And uh, they had a couple video games out. I never played them, but I don't know if they were popular or not. Well, um, yeah, uh, Acclaim was going to make some more games, and they eventually abandoned it, probably for good reason. And the Olsen Twins' company sued Acclaim for $177,966.32 in back royalties, and then $300,000 in penalties after their game, Mary Kate and Ashley in Action, was canceled across platforms, including GameCube, Game Boy, PlayStation, PC. Yeah. And their complaint here was that uh, really was uh, kind of a breach of contract thing. I, I think that the, the lawyer said that they blatantly abandoned the Mary Kate and Ashley brand and has taken that brand, and which has flourished in video games, has now run it into the ground. Well, questionable there, really, about who exactly did the running into the ground. But you know what? I, I, this is a tough one, because I guess if you sign a contract to produce a product, and then you decide it's not going to be profitable, and you abandon it... Um, and there's penalties I, in the contract saying if you don't do it... Yeah. I mean, yeah. you got to... Don't sign a contract like that next time a claim. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say their lawyers should have um, worked harder to make sure that it wasn't so punitive. I mean, I mean it, the, the numbers involved here are, are, for a company like Acclaim probably fairly small, $200,000 or so, uh, plus the penalties which they ended up paying. But um, maybe they decided that even with the lawsuit, they were still going to come out ahead on that game, which, let's face it, was not likely to be the next Call of Duty. Mm. Though no. actually, Call of Duty with the Ashley Twins in, that kind of interests me. <laughs> but heavy, to be fair, heavy, heavy military weapons on the Ashley twins. But the, the were, Ashley uh, twins were the, really the, 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 twins, the Olsen twins. Yeah, they were really popular at the time, and these games were geared. These video games were geared towards the the girl market, which yeah. most video games are just not. So I don't know. I'm I'm up in the air because would it have done well? Probably not, because most at the time most girls didn't play video games. That's different now. Um. But, eh, I don't know. Uh, the next one, Mortal Kombat, which is uh, the Wilson Family versus Midway Games. Now, this was a pretty sad affair all the way around. A 13-year-old boy named Noah Wilson passed away after his best friend stabbed him in the chest with a kitchen knife, which is terrible. And Noah's yeah. mother um, sued Midway Games. Uh, they made Mortal Kombat, claiming that her son's best friend was addicted and obsessed with the violent game, and that, um, you know, that's why he did it. It's sad. Yeah. It's sad, but any of us who've ever played Mortal Kombat, I don't believe that stabbing is an important part of Mortal Kombat. Well, I think it goes beyond that. I think it's, I think it's simply the fact that a parent claiming that a video game corrupted her son to the point where he would stab a, a his friend because of the video game. The video game is the cause is well, ludicrous. Back, but on what basis did her and her lawyer think that the video game was the cause? How can you prove that link? Because we're, 
as we've just talked about with the, the previous one with the Grand Theft Auto thing, where this, where violence of all kinds is perfectly permissible in the society. We watch videos, we watch TV shows, we watch uh, movies with with simulated violence yep. and killing and death yep. and all sorts of other, other terrible things as entertainment on a daily basis. So why single out video games as being the cause when, in fact, particularly back in, when was this, 2005? No, it was in the late oh, 90s. It was earlier than that. Yeah, yep. Mortal Kombat was earlier. When back then, that, that Mortal Kombat was certainly... A, a cartoon type of game. It was. I mean, there was a lot of fuss about it. I remember about the supposed violence in it, but it, to me, it always looked like a cartoon. It didn't look realistic. Well, no, yeah, it, it actually it wasn't did. Quite so realistic. Well, compared to the other video games at the time, it kind of was. And then the fatalities yeah, but, was a big deal at the time. Yeah, but compared to the movies available at the time. Yeah, but the yeah, I, I agree. The cheapest yes. and the cheapest, cheesiest, crappiest action movie. Yeah, would would look far more realistic than anything you ever saw in a video game. But the argument so why was made the video games for causing the violence because the the argument can be made that uh, watching a movie, listening to a song, watching a television show is passive, whereas a video game is interactive. You're making the co- the character do these horrific things, and I don't agree with that. I know you don't, but I think that was yeah. kind of the basis of. A lot, of, and this wasn't the only lawsuit that popped up. Uh, video game violence. It, 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 there was a long list of them. Yeah, but, but you know, and I think it's, that's it's, that's kind of the thing. It's all part of that legal blame culture, isn't it? It you is know, absolutely. Somebody had to be blamed. It's never the parents. Somebody has to be sued. Yeah, it's never um, the parents. Fortunately, in this case, uh, justice prevailed because obviously your First Amendment, which guarantees the freedom of speech, said that it would be a violation. A, a, a a um, chilling of yep. free speech to not let video games uh, have this level of um, this level of violence in them, regardless of what people's opinions are. Next one: the Romantics versus Activision. This one cracks me up simply because um, <laughs> for a while there, Guitar Hero was the it was huge. It was yeah. a big big thing, and they had an, uh, one of them called uh, Guitar Hero Encore Rock Rocks the Eighties. And so they wanted to use an, a, a romantic song, and they did, but they didn't use the original. They actually had a cover band do it. And By agreement. <laughs> by agreement, yes. By agreement with the band, the Romantics. And the Romantics sued because they said that the song sounded too much like the original. That yeah. the cover version is song, it sounded like the original. And, of course, the judge sided with Activision. And then what's the Romantics do? They try to get more money. Yeah, which which is what this was basically. It was all about some, money. Yeah, some contract lawyer signed this up for them thinking, you know, oh, it's a thing. They'll get a bit of change. And then Guitar Hero blows up into a massive hit. And, and they say, oh, you know, we have, we're not being paid enough. It's so successful. It's like, well, you know what? You should have cut a better deal back in the first place. The next one is... Um and this one, I, I, I actually have to side with the plaintiffs on this one. Uh, O'Bannon and Keller versus Electronic Arts. And the game was NCAA Basketball 2014. But it wasn't just basketball. It's pretty much any college sport that used real players' names. Which, in itself, shouldn't be a bad thing, except those players never got any royalty payments. So here's a video game. Working in concert with the NCAA, using the likeness and the in the stats and the names of real players, college players, and not paying them for that. And now the NCAA says, "Well, no, they're not professionals. You can't make money using your likeness." Like for instance, if I'm an NCAA football player, right, and I'm a big star, and I'm going to school on a scholarship, I can't make commercials for a company. I can't let anyone use my name and profit off of that. That's against NCAA rules, right? Okay. Which is it's, BS, right there. Uh, the NCAA is a charity. Is it a non-for-profit organization? Yeah, we wish. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They make the schools make tons money. Of money yep. off the back of their yep. athletes. Absolutely. Yeah, and they, they've had a long history of screwing those athletes over. Yep. 
Yep. And that's a whole podcast on itself. And I would love to get into it because well, it's, I'm, yeah. I'm in a hundred percent agreement with the players here. Now, yeah. Now, they, apparently the NCAA is an officially a nonprofit organization, but mm-hmm. you know what their revenue was in 2016? Nearly a billion dollars. Right. Nonprofit. Right? So where's that money going? I'm sure they gave it to all the players. Any money. They, they gave it to all the players. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what a racket. What a racket. Yep. So, yeah, suck so, it. Well, you're getting a free education. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they settled out of court with EA. And, uh, and of course, EA, the, fran- the, of the whole franchise of, yeah. is. Yeah. Instead of cutting a deal with the players or with the NCAA or anything, they just ice the franchises and they don't do NCAA stuff anymore. Yep. Spines. Donkey Kong versus King Kong. This is pretty good. Universal Studios filed suit against Nintendo for copyright infringement in 82, claiming the Japanese video game creator, uh, Shinguru Miyamoto, had based his character Donkey Kong and the gameplay on the 1933 film King Kong, which, by the way, I don't think is in dispute. I mean, clearly, the whole idea behind Donkey Kong is it's King Kong. Sure, fine. (laughs) Except... They they kind of did something stupid here. Well, they tried to play the f- both sides of the fence, is what they did. Yeah. Because Nintendo said the reason we used it is because King Kong was public domain. Right. Yeah. Well, that, that movie came out in, in the 30s. Yeah. There's yep. a there's a statute of limitations on um, copyright. Um, and so King Kong was a public domain property. Turns out Universal had point out, pointed out themselves that King Kong was a... Um, was a public domain property when they remil- remade the King Kong movie in the 70s. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> what a punch. Uh, they actually, right. Nintendo actually uh, countersued them and got $1.8 million $1. from $1. Universal yeah. for, to cover Just, the legal costs. Yeah. Stupid. Yeah. Just One stupid. of the few cases where the, where the courts work uh, the way that justice is meant to work there, I think. Yep. When it comes to copyright. Lineage 2, Smallwood versus NCSoft. This is crazy. A Hawaiian man named Craig Smallwood filed a lawsuit against a South Korean company, NCSoft, for making the massive multiplayer online game Lineage 2 too addictive. Uh, he said he, had in, from 2004 to 9, he invested more than 20,000 hours playing the game and averaged about 11 hours of gameplay each and every day. He further claimed that he, he became psychologically dependent and addicted to Lineage 2 and was unable to function independently in usual daily activities such as getting up, getting dressed, bathing, or communicating with family and friends. He even likened his situation to heroin addiction. The lawsuit continued to hold NCSoft liable because the company failed to provide any warning that MMO gaming could be addictive. Of course, Please. it was thrown out of court, thank goodness. Uh, and the plaintiff was suggested that he may want to take some psychological counseling, which, you know. Wait, right, just as an aside here, what annoys me about something like that, because obviously it's a stupid lawsuit by a stupid man who doesn't appear to have any sense of his own personal responsibility. But what irritates the most about those sorts of cases is that he walked into some lawyer's office and the lawyer went, yeah, I'll take that case on. Yep. What about this one? Nintendo versus Burt. A 24 year old Australian man named James Burt was ordered to pay Nintendo 1.5 million after he managed to buy an early version of super Mario brothers for the Wii and illegally uploaded the game to the internet. The file was downloaded more than 50,000 times in five days, a week before it was released in November 2009. Um, Nintendo and Burt came uh, to an out-of-court settlement. Uh, Burt had to pay an additional $100,000 to Nintendo for the game's illegally or legal bills and court costs. Plus, uh, plus what? Um, what the game would have made in that week, yep. I think, is, is what he paid as well. Yep. Uh, Although Nintendo initially sued Burt, the company gave him a very exclusive gift after the matter was satisfactory settled. A limited edition Legend of Zelda, the Windwalker statue. Yeah, look, if, you, if you're a hacker and you manage to break into a game company and download an early version of the code... 
Yeah, that is obviously against the law and is morally questionable. However, yeah, if you do that, keep it to yourself and your friends. Don't upload it to the internet Idiot. because you will get sued. Yep. <laughs> Uh, unlicensed Nintendo games, Nintendo versus Tengen. Now, Tengen, it, it, that's Atari, for those yeah. who don't know. And there's a reason that Tengen existed, because at the height of the NSA, NES's popularity, Nintendo would only let um, a game developer develop five games per year. That was it. So yeah. Atari went and created a second company called Tengen, so they can go with ten games. Uh, in 87, the Atari Corporation split two divisions, Atari Games and Tengen, and tried to negotiate a less restrictive license with Nintendo. The executives at N Nintendo refused to renegotiate, and Tengen turned to the United States Copyright Office to acquire designs, uh, the designs of Nintendo's lockout chip and reverse engineer and bypass it so they could sell as many unlicensed video games with the NES as they wanted. As soon as Nintendo got wind of Tengen's actions, they launched a massive lawsuit for copyright and patent infringement, which they won, by the way. They they settled out of court, but... Um, yeah, they settled, but in, yeah. in a way that Nintendo... Well, Nintendo did win in court. Yeah, but, but they settled the pay... Because, the, the, obviously, it was all about the payments. But again, you just look at this, you think... This is... What's so concerning about some of the executives in the video game industry is that they they try and cut a deal. They then do some shenanigans to try and improve their position on the deal and try and renegotiate. They get nowhere because Nintendo goes, you know what? No, this is you are the same people we deal we dealt with, um, and that's their right to do that. Whatever you could, you think the rights and wrongs of uh, lockout chips and and uh, companies restricting the amount of software available for their video game systems that is their right yeah and for for a, a company particularly a foreign company to then go you know what we're going to use our court system to try and get around that really is pretty horrible atari versus yeah. phillips this is the pac-man versus uh casey munchkin in yeah. the early 80s now, as, as you and i, I remember both. playing casey munchkin because yeah. i had a friend who had a a Philips video pack console, yep. which which had which had this game on it, and, and there's it no was... question that Casey Munchkin was a complete ripoff of Pac-Man. Yeah, and the courts actually recognized, and this was the first time that this had ever happened. Uh, copyright law could apply to the look and feel of computer software, mm -hmm. um, and they won. Yeah, as they should yeah. have, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a blatant ripoff, and everybody did it with Pac-Man and Space Invaders and all those other early games. Um, but, you know, that's what uh, copyright law is meant to protect you against, so. Mm -hmm. you know, it's just basically because, yeah, as you say, people are going, oh, it's software, so copyright doesn't count. Um, last one, Pong. Magnavox versus Atari. It's amazing how many lawsuits Atari was involved in but it shouldn't be because they were the first really um ralph bear invented uh the magnavox odyssey and it played pong and of course atari ripped off pong massively in arcades and stuff and eventually home consoles as well you remember those little dedicated pong boxes yeah. um and everybody eventually ripped off the pong games but Magnavox sued him, and uh, yeah, it was settled had, out of court had, in nineteen seventy six. You know what? I had you see, I, I I was I had Bushnell down as the inventor of Pong. Yeah, and he's not. I, that's the story I've always heard, and I'd always assumed it'd be correct. I had no idea that he effectively <laughs> Steve Jobs did from uh, Magnavox in the way that Steve. Yeah, he went to he, yeah he went to this zero. thing where they showed it, and he he in court said he had never seen it before, but they actually had his name, his signature on a guest list where they right. showed Pong for the first time. So he totally Steve Jobs the whole Pong idea. Yeah, but it's amazing because Magnavox was pretty much a failure after this point in video games for the most part, and yeah. this whole Bushnell was a, a creative genius that came up with. Pong and it's just not true. Yeah, you know. No, I, I, as I say, I, everything I've ever read said 
Bushnell invented Pong, and the story goes that he he built the machines and he put them into our, into like a local tempered well, bowling parlor or something, yep. and then got called up bar. after a couple of days saying it was broken. And when he went to to do it, the reason it was broken is because the coin box was overflowing. Right. Quarters. Well, he didn't yeah. he didn't actually go to the bar. That's an actual yeah. a true story. I've I've listened to the person who actually went to the bar talk about it. Yeah. Um, but you know, I guess history sides with the winners, and yeah. whether and it's true or not. By the winners, that's right. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. What do you got for our wiki trolling so we can get this thing wrapped up? Because we're getting a little uh, long in the tooth okay. here. I should really send you the link there, shouldn't I? Yeah, might as well. It, it makes it go a so, little faster. This is... This is uh, I'm going to struggle to do this because I have the... Um, I have the... Well, you, you, you just Google for it yep. uh, on Wikipedia, please, because the... Um, the topic this week is uh, something from Nintendo, actually. It's called Game & Watch. Oh, I remember the Game & Watch. You remember Game & Watch? Yeah. Yeah. Now, I remember these. Uh, and, and the reason this is on my mind is I actually had a thought about these a few days ago, and I actually went onto eBay and bought one because I thought that's a thing from my childhood that I'd like to own again. Even I, In fact, own again, I say own again. I never owned one, so. Right. Um, well, these yeah. were, I mean, these little handheld gaming uh, systems way back in the day were extremely popular. The little LED um, handheld well, they, yeah, the, runs on a battery. Yeah, these weren't even LED. These were the first the LCD crystal displays. Yeah. yeah. So the way these games worked, and the, and the, the reason they were called Game or Watch is they had a clock on them. Yep. And the idea was is that you could carry them around to tell the time, but also you could play a game on them. And this is this this is kind of what directly led Nintendo to the Game Boy. Because originally these things were single, they, they were programmed in a single game. The display um, effectively had had the uh, the characters hard coded into it, um, and they were they were pretty simple games. But you know what? They were like all thing game thing gaming Nintendos. They were really addictive, and I remember these things. Uh, yeah, about seventy eight, seventy nine, exploding in the British playground. Yeah, um, you know there, there was there was a great one called Parachute where you had to um, basically bounce people jumping out of a burning building on uh, a trampoline to, into the ambulance. I remember those. Um, I remember yeah. that game. Yep. But then the thing that really took her off, they did one with two screens that was Donkey Kong. Yep. And that's the one that I've just bought. So I'm looking forward to getting that this week. They they um, were fun little systems. Um, and they were inexpensive for the for the time. They really weren't all that expensive to buy. I remember getting yeah. a couple Game & Watch. And uh, it wasn't just Game & Watch either. There was a lot of rip-off, you know. Yeah. Bandai did a whole load. Yeah. And, I remember the sport ones from Mattel. Yeah. Those are actually LEDs. But yeah. the, the concept was the same. It's a single game box that you can take with you and play a video game on. They're fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. I, I think this was very much the dawn of handheld video games. Oh, absolutely was. Um, um, because, yeah, these these were the, you could, I mean, it, the way people sit down and play Candy Crush Saga on their mobile phones today, that's what people did with Game & Watch back then. Um, and yeah, you know, video games weren't as mature, so it, it was more of a kid thing than it was as a grown-up thing. But nevertheless, the idea that you could actually slip a fun video game into your pocket is what <clears throat> Nintendo came up with here. There was 59 um, version, uh, different Game & Watch games, by the way. Yeah, and I I imagine that they have this character, they now call him Mr. Game & Watch. He's actually <laughs> the, the stick figure from um, from that game I just mentioned, the parachute game. Yeah, uh, and and I guarantee you, an awful lot of people our age, even if they've never really been kind of aware of gaming watches, the thing if they see this figure with his little ball hands and everything, will probably recognise it straight away. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, there was a, these these were a lot of fun, and, and yeah, anybody who's who's interested in doing what I did uh, and wants to go and get some nostalgia and go and search on eBay and find one, be warned. Yeah, there is a massive collector's market for these. Don't pay a lot of money for them. No. Yeah, because the the the, the expensive ones are the ones in the original packaging, and and apparently it's a big thing that the uh, they've all lost their um, little cover for the battery thing at the back. Yeah, that's a yeah. that's always now, a common it, thing with those kind yeah. of toys. So if you want one, 
buy one without the battery cover because they're the cheap ones. Yeah, the collector's ones with the complete battery covers, the ones that go for a lot of money. Buy a cheap one, put a couple of uh, cell batteries in, and then put a bit of tape over it, and you'll be good. Yeah. Uh, and you can have a bit of nostalgic fun. And the, the, the real reason I bought one was not only do I want to play it, but I want to show my kids to show what... They look good you know, on a shelf. And, you know, I, the design of these were very innovative. I mean, you can see where they got the NES controllers directly from the Game & Watch. I don't know if you know that exactly. or not. Yeah, yeah, I, I do. And, and you know, I think, I re, as I say, I remember these systems because they were, bearing in mind they were for kids, they were so well built. Yep. And I remember the controls, particularly the little rubber buttons they had, compared to so many things we have which have crap buttons on, yeah? They were responsive, they worked really well. Nintendo's always been excellent at this sort of stuff, and I think it, there's a, obviously there's a direct line from these systems right through all the different Game Boys. To the Switch. Uh, uh, to the Switch, you know, yep, and the absolutely. Switch is still rocking it out today. Uh, and um, That's, you know, that's I, their DNA, is, is, is portable gaming. It always has yeah. been. Yeah, and uh, yeah, Game & Watch. Good, Good pick. times. Absolutely. <laughs> so with that, we're going to wrap up this episode of Tech Fan. Um, before my dogs do any more tap dancing on the wooden floor behind me. We'd love to get your feedback, of course. Like I said earlier, give uh, Donnie Yankelo and I some ideas on uh, uh, on our book. Uh, send an email to the show at techfanpodcast.com. Hey, if you guys are going to show up at MaxTalk, send me an email. Let me know. I'd love to meet you there. Um, Guy Searle and I will be there. It, this is going to be a whole bunch of people, so it's it's a really cool event. Uh, please come. And uh, David, you got anything before we wrap? No, that's pretty much me for this week. Uh, next week, we're telling you all about the iPhone 8 Plus. Sounds like a plan. See you then. See you then.